New Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we will be exploring an extremely rare paranormal gift known as physical mediumship. I'm honored today to have as my guest Stuart Alexander, who has been practicing mediumship and is a physical medium. He has been uh, working in this area for many decades, probably even longer than I have been involved in the field of parapsychology. He is the author of An Extraordinary Journey, The Memoirs of a Physical Medium, now in its second edition. Incidentally, it has an epilogue by Leslie Kane, who has been a guest on this program. Leslie is the author of Surviving Death, a journalist investigates evidence for the afterlife in which she reports on her her experiences in seances with Stuart Alexander. And in fact, I am going to link to uh, that video now. I would highly recommend it uh, for those of you watching this video. Stuart is also the subject of a three-volume set of books written by Katie Hallowell titled Experiences of Trance, Physical Mediumship and Associated Phenomena with the Stuart Alexander Circle. His work has also been studied by psychical researchers in England and has been the subject of an article in their quarterly magazine, The Paranormal Review. Stuart lives in Northeast England, and now I will switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Stuart. I'm very happy to have you on New Thinking Aloud today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's my pleasure to have the opportunity to be interviewed by you, Jeff. You know, I uh, already have pre-recorded an introduction, and in it, I mentioned that you've been practicing mediumship longer than I've been involved in parapsychology, which is a very long time. In, in my case, I think 48 years, but I suspect in your case, more than half a century. 52 years. <laughs> 52 years. You have a wealth of experience, and uh, as I read through your memoir, the one thing that really stood out for me was persistence. You persisted for years and years. As I recall, it took 14 years before uh, the first uh, direct voice, and which was, a, I think, the first physical phenomena really uh, phenomenon really manifested. Well, I think it was over 14 years, actually, Jeff. Yeah. Um, it was quite a number of years before, uh, on one occasion, very unexpectedly, I entered the condition of trance, just for a few moments, that's all. Uh, but that was several years after we'd first begun to sit. Yeah. In, in other words, you were sitting in seances for years with zero results. The point was that we all believed as friends and family that if we could gather together once a week, present to the spirit world the correct conditions, then we thought that perhaps the spirit world in some way could use the combined energy of all the sitters in order to 
enable them to be able to let us know that they were present. That was it. But nobody had any thoughts, any expectations about becoming a medium. Definitely not. Were there in those early years signs or indications of some glimmer of success? None. <laughs> None, except I have to say that the resident medium from one of our local spiritualist churches came along on several occasions to sit and to give his feelings, his impressions, uh, and he was always very, very encouraging. He could see things that we couldn't see, perceive things we couldn't perceive, sense things that we couldn't sense, but that was encouraging. But the, I think the important thing here, Jeff, for me to stress, is the fact that in spite of the fact that we were not uh, receiving any results whatsoever, it was just nice for us to gather together once a week, family and friends, walk into that room, close the door, uh, and sit together in love. And it's wonderful that you can do that and shut the outside world and all the problems outside. They don't belong within the seance room. So that was just nice. But the highlight of those nights, as I've said many times, was after we used to sit for an hour. And then after the hour, we, we would have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, cakes. And th th that was the highlight of the night, the tea, cakes and coffee. <laughs> you would sit for an hour in a darkened room. Uh, I guess pitch black, actually, and and in silence, or were you uh, praying or singing or talking during that time? No, we had uh, background music playing, very nice, gentle background music. No, no, no words or anything. Just nice, soft, gentle music. Now, as I always say to people, you know, you can go within the music. You know. It's very difficult to do, to clear the mind totally and just become as one with the music. But it can be achieved, but it takes time. Well, listening to music that way with friends, it's almost like uh, going to a concert, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. Yes. It's excellence. It's lovely. But as I say, none of us had any thoughts of personally developing mediumship. We just thought that by being together creating the correct conditions for the spirit world, perhaps in some way they could let us know of their presence, that they were there, and they never did. <laughs> but after a few years, you uh, eventually fell into a trance state and uh, your spirit guide, Whitefeather, uh, manifested. I can tell you the story, Jeff, very quickly. Uh, this is all in the book, incidentally. But uh, I used to work as the senior design engineer for a large international engineering company. But each evening when I left the office at four o'clock, I would travel to a local garage, which was owned by a friend of mine. And then I would take over the running of the garage to allow him to go home to have his evening meal. And then he would come back with his wife at eight o'clock and I would go home. And one particular night, it would be about probably 7.45, got to eight. And the telephone rang. I picked it up and it was my brother. And he said, do you fancy coming round tonight for a sitting? We're thinking of having a, a sitting if you'd like to come. 
And my exact words were, well, listen, I'd love to come, but I've had such a, a stressful day, a hectic day in the office. I said, I just can't, you know. But I said, do ring me tomorrow and let me know if anything happened. Well, nothing used to happen in those days. And he said to me, uh, yes, I will do. So we talked for a little while, put the phone down. And then about five minutes later, I thought, it started to come into my mind. I thought, well, if I don't go, I know what's going to happen. It'd be ringing me tomorrow morning saying, guess what? You know, we've had a breakthrough. I thought, I better go. <laughs> so I telephoned him and I said, look, I, I will come. I said, but obviously I'll be a little late. Anyhow, I arrived at their home an hour or so later and we just sat round the table uh, with our hands resting on the top, music playing uh, in the half light. It wasn't dark in the half light. And we sat for, we used to sit for an hour in those days, and I suppose something like 55 minutes had passed. And my mind was starting to turn towards the tea, the coffee, the biscuits, the cakes. And suddenly, and it's the first time it ever happened, Jeff, suddenly in my left ear, I very clearly heard a voice say, turn the light out, continue to sit. Turn the light out, continue to sit. And it was like a loop on a tape, just the same words again and again and again. And, you know, for some reason, I wasn't shocked by it. I was just sat there listening to this voice. And after a short while, my brother said, uh, well, shall we shall we bring it to an end, put the kettle on? I said, no, just a minute. I said, just turn the light out. And without asking any questions, he reached up, switched out the light and then the most extraordinary thing happened, which I always have the greatest difficulty in explaining. Suddenly, something, something from behind me came quickly towards me. And the only uh, simile I, c I, I can use here is if people have seen the film Ghost, where Whoopi Goldberg as the medium is suddenly entranced, that, that mischievous spirit jumps into her. Well, it was like that, except it wasn't mischievous came towards me, next moment, he was inside me, and I was outside, and I was watching myself, and my mouth opened, and these words came out, I come, speak, brother, sister. And no sooner had the words been said, it was out, and I was back in. And that's how it began, that night, that's how it all began. Just one short sentence, but that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And I gather the other people in the room were able to report to you what had happened, or or were you conscious of it? I, I was conscious of it because I heard the words very clearly, Jeff, very clearly. Uh, I saw my mouth open and the words come out, yes. Uh, there was just my brother and his wife and myself. Uh, and after it all finished, we, we, we drank our tea and, and coffee and so on, and we... As strange as it may sound, we didn't really talk that much about it. But the next morning, walking into my office, the phone was ringing. And when I picked it up, it was my brother. And he said, do you, do you want to come round tonight for another sitting? And my exact words, pardon my French, was not bloody likely. Because I have to say, I have to say that it really did frighten me. But it would be the only time that I would ever be nervous within the seance room, just that one occasion. And it all started from there. 
then over the next decade or so, uh, this this spirit, who who you now know as White Feather, began to uh, develop the ability to articulate uh, for a longer period of time with greater clarity. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Uh, probably it took about ten years before any other um, spirit guide uh, came in. You know, came in and introduced himself, uh, and and slowly over a long, long period of time, that we call we refer to them as the spirit team, and that began to expand and grow. But each one of them have their own individual responsibilities. Absolutely, White Feather would uh, eventually. Uh, get to the point of providing discourses, uh, philosophical discourses? To an extent, yes, but only to a small extent. And I think the reason perhaps for that is the fact that from the very beginning, and we're going back now 52 years, I think it is, from the very beginning, what interested me enormously was survival evidence. To me, that is Everything, absolutely everything. And I've got to be honest and tell you that when it comes to philosophical communications, that honestly, I've no, I've very little interest in that. And so many times I've sat listening to philosophy uh, being delivered through other transmediums, and frankly, I haven't a clue what they're talking about because to me, I've always concentrated on evidence and to me that's what spiritualism is or at least what it should be about first and foremost evidence of survival and i think for that reason perhaps that's the reason why i have attracted to me the team the spirit team that have worked with me for so many years now was some length of time uh, from from the first appearance of White Feather to the point where you began to get evidence. It didn't happen immediately. I think at first, and for a long period of time, he White Feather was uh, working on 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 being able to refine the trans process, being able to speak through me without a great deal of effort. Uh, so it did take a long time. As we discussed a little earlier, a, a real breakthrough came after, I think, as I recall reading, about 14 years into your uh, mediumship, uh, you experienced the uh, trumpet uh, levitating and direct voice. Let's talk about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a very memorable occasion, Jeff. Um of course, of course, you know, all of this is within the book, but a great deal more than I can possibly discuss with you tonight, um, today. Um, I was very, very fortunate uh, throughout my journey, I refer to it as my spiritual journey, to have met people who I refer to as mentors, people who have really, really helped me on my journey and one of those was a lady by the name of Kath Matthews and I was present at the very first demonstration she gave in my home city. Uh, she'd lived for quite some years in London but come back to live in, my, in, in her city where her family lived uh, and she was giving that very first demonstration 
that night at one of the spiritualist churches and I was fortunate to be present. And I've always said it was perhaps the finest demonstration or one of the finest demonstrations of mediumship, mental mediumship that I'd ever experienced up to that point. And after the service, we got into conversation. I found out that she was very, very interested in physical mediumship. And I began to tell her of all the many years I'd been sitting, hoping that perhaps one day it may be possible for the spirit world to be able to work uh, in that manner, you know, to manifest physically. And uh, I was between circles at the time. And she said, well, look, Stuart, she said, why don't you come to my home once a week? She said, I'll totally black out my lounge. I'll form a circle around you. Uh, and then let's see if we can help with the with the development and so um, that's exactly what happened I began to visit her home once a week and she did indeed form a, an excellent circle I think there was perhaps about eight of us and we would sit uh, I'll say a Monday evening I forgot what night it was but we would sit each Monday evening in a circle totally dark conditions and the trumpet in the centre of the circle, never moved, never ever moved, and uh, but White Feather would communicate. Sometimes he would communicate, sometimes we'd have what we would call blank sittings where nothing would happen. And one particular night we had a blank sitting, and afterwards we were enjoying our tea, coffee, cakes, etc. And one by one, everybody drifted away just leaving Kath, myself and another lady and we were sat at a table and the trumpet was in the centre of the table, just stood in the centre of the table and we were talking and then the next thing I knew, uh, I was waking up and I'd fallen back into trance, White Feather had come through and said switch the light out, so Kath had reached up, switched off the lights and immediately when the light went off, as I understand it, the trumpet rose into the air and then Whitefeather began to speak through the trumpet. So you can imagine the following week when every, all the other members of the sect found out about this. <laughs> we were a little bit envious, but that was the beginning. That was really the beginning. So at that point, uh, your trance was so deep that you weren't aware of uh, uh, what had transpired. So I gather over that length of time, uh, the trance itself deepened. That's quite correct, because for a long time, after that very first occasion when White Feather communicated, that very first time, um, for a long, long time, I was aware. I, was, I couldn't stop what was being said through me, but I was aware of everything that was being said. Uh, I couldn't stop it. It just happened. Uh, I was sort of like a bystander, if you like, you know. Uh, and White Feather would speak. I, I couldn't stop it. Well, I wouldn't want to stop him. Uh, but, you know, that's how it was for a long, long time, Jeff. And I agonized over this because I wondered to myself whether or not it was like a secondary personality. Was I, was I conjuring him up to meet expectation? All these kind of things went through my mind. Uh, and no one, as I say in my book, no one wants to, um, no one wants to um, sort of like, well, what can I say? Deceive themselves. No one wants to deceive themselves. And certainly they don't want to deceive other people 
obviously not and for that reason i agonized over it and i honestly think jeff that many mediums particularly through the early days of development in regard to trance if they're honest i think the majority would have to admit that they are semi-conscious that they are able to hear what is being said through them I really do. Most most mediums are saying, oh, no, I don't know anything. But I don't believe that. I really don't believe that. You know, uh, I think it's a very rare event when a medium is totally controlled, totally. So I, I had this going on in my mind for a long time. And as I tell in my book, uh, one night my wife was going to night school. And I said to her, before you go, I said, write something on a piece of paper seal it in an envelope, give it to me, and I'm going to ask Whitefeather while you're gone to the night school, I'm going to ask if he can tell me what you've written. And if he can tell me, uh, tell me, and it's correct, then I will never, ever doubt him again. She said, right, okay. So she wrote something down, sealed it in an envelope, gave it to me, and off she went to night school. And I sat at the kitchen table looking at this envelope, wondering what I what I should do. Well, I kept saying in my own mind, come on, Whitefeather, what is, what's she written? What, 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 is, what is this? Blah, blah, blah. And after quite a prolonged period of time, suddenly I saw a riverbank and I saw a dog running up and down, barking, and the sun was shining. Ah, right. So I wrote that down. So when my wife came in, uh, from night school, I said, so what have you written? She said, well, open the envelope and look. So I opened the envelope and looked, and it said, Riverbank, dog running up and down, barking, and the sun is shining. I thought, that's it. Whitefeather is who he claims to be. It's not me, it's him. You see, a separate individual. That certainty lasted for a week, and then I realised it had to be telepathy between my wife and myself. <laughs> So I was back to <laughs> I was back to the beginning. Well, I think you have to analyse these things. You know, you you've got to be certain within your own mind. Well, the day came when I was finally able to accept that he was a separate individual, that it wasn't me, and it came about uh, when I was very very fortunate to um, have uh, to attend a séance with Leslie Flint. For people watching this who perhaps have never heard of Leslie Flynn, he was perhaps the finest direct voice medium ever to uh, be developed within the UK, definitely. And I was very, very fortunate to sit with him on several occasions. And on one occasion, um, we'd, he lived in London, so it was for us a four-hour journey to go. That didn't matter. And in his presence, uh, in a darkened room, um, spirit people, men, women, children would speak in their own voices aside from Leslie Flynn, not through him but in their own voices and people would travel to sit with Leslie Flynn from, from all over the world, literally and that to be sat there Oh, so wonderful. I thought, this is fantastic, you know, to sit with Leslie Flint, to actually hear the voices of the so-called dead speaking themselves. Well, we've been sat there for quite a period of time. I have to tell you, 
that during those early days and, and even today to some extent whenever I go into trams my left hand would curl in upon itself almost as if it was deformed um, and it still happens to this day but not to the same extent so there we were sitting with Leslie Flint when suddenly towards the end of the seance a voice came through which announced himself as Whitefeather and I thought to myself well, this is a perfect opportunity for me to find out once and for all if he is individual, if he's totally separate to me, what can I, what can I ask it? And it suddenly came into my mind and I said, Whitefeather, I said, could you tell me during your life upon the earth, did you have a physical deformity? And as quick as that, he said, you mean my left hand? And that to me, and I've never doubted him ever since. That was the icing on the cake. That was a wonderful story. That occurred long before the uh, trumpet. And, and what we need to do is explain to our viewers what you mean by a trumpet, because my father used to play the trumpet in a, in a swing band, and I'm pretty sure the trumpet that you had was very different. Nothing to do with the musical instruments. <laughs> if viewers can imagine uh, a megaphone, usually about 12 inches, 15 inches in height. At the large end, probably about four inches. At the small end, probably three quarters of an inch, an inch. And as the trumpet floats around a seance room, then voices of the spirit people will speak through it. And of course, because it is a megaphone, the voices are amplified. That's what a trumpet is, a seance room trumpet. And, and I gather also you use luminous tape uh, so that even in a darkened room, when the trumpet levitates, people can observe it. Yes, people can observe it. The, the large end of the trumpet, uh, there is, is, is a luminous tape around the large end so people can see it as it moves around the seance room. And I should incidentally just mention, because if I don't now, I shall forget and then I'll regret the fact I haven't said it. I always, always, always insist, when it, if it's a public seance, that I must have luminous tape attached to my knees so that all the cities can see exactly where I am all the time. There's no way I'm up on my feet running around the seance room waving trumpets around. No, not at all. You know, because right from the beginning, when I decided that I would from time to time demonstrate publicly, Jeff, the most important thing to me was that no one should ever leave having attended a seance with me with any doubt whatsoever that what took place was genuine, you see. And I tried to put myself in the place of people who perhaps were attending for the first time. If I was attending with a physical need, you'd never leave common sense outside the seance room door. Never. And I've always said when I've sat with other mediums that I always sit with them as a spiritualist. Yes, of course I do. But at the same time, I don't abandon common sense. I don't leave that outside the seance room door. You know, so on that basis, that's the reason why I am strapped into my seat and why I wear luminous tape so people can see exactly where I am all the time. I, I wanted to say that because I think it's important. 
Well, we should start to uh, get into the kinds of physical phenomena that began to manifest in, in your seances. And I think it's also important to point out that when this began, you were sitting with uh, what we call or you call home circles, which is a, a group of close friends. You're not doing it for money. You're not doing it for the public. It's strictly a question of, of people coming together for the purpose of inquiry and fellowship. Absolutely, 100% correct. I couldn't have put that better myself. And to me, let, let me say that my home circle now, the current, the present home circle, has now been meeting once a week for the last almost 40 years, almost 40 years. Uh, unfortunately, the pandemic, for the first time in all of those years, we've not been able to sit since March up to the present time. And obviously, we miss it tremendously. Of course, we do. We miss it. But, we, you know, it would be too risky for us to sit. But no, that is quite correct. It is the home circle. And the only reason I'm sat here speaking to you now, Jeff, and the only reason why I, from time to time, have demonstrated publicly is purely and simply because on one single occasion, uh, I attend, I used to belong a society called the Noah's Ark. Uh, I won't go into all the details, but there was a young man who was beginning to develop physical mediumship. And this was a residential seminar that the society arranged, and I was present. And on the Saturday evening, we had a demonstration, a seance, and everyone attended. There must have been about 80 people there. And I was sat three or four seats away from this young medium. And for the first time ever in that darkened room, I saw the trumpet flying all over the room. I saw things that I'd never seen because I was always in trance when this happened with me. I'd, I'd never seen any of this. And I saw all of this happening. And after the seance, when it had finished and we were all in the bar having a drink, and I looked around and I could see the joy on the faces of all the people who had attended because their belief in survival had become certain you know certain knowledge for them to have been there and to have seen that so just a belief had been converted to fact in that one hour that they all sat there and i looked around and i thought we've been getting this now for perhaps 10 years or something like that and yet we've kept it to ourselves in the home circle and i felt very oh i don't know uh, selfish is the right word selfish and for that reason, I thought, well, now the committee of the society at that point didn't even know that I was a physical medium. And then at the next meeting of the committee, I informed them. And that was the beginning of my occasional work before the public. And the only reason it is done, Jeff, is for people to be able to see and to know that the reality of survival beyond death and of communication between the two worlds. And that's the only reason, because I'm more than happy just sitting in the home circle. I guess then what when you had the first experience of the trumpet levitating in direct voice with Kath Matthews, that then, then from then on, it began to continue and increase. Yes, it was. It was like the beginning of an adventure. 
it was the beginning of an adventure you know after all those years of patiently sitting 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 and then suddenly for this to happen you know but progress has been development has been very very slow has been very slow always has been you know and i believe with some mediums it can be very very fast with me no it's always been very slow but i think the end results you know as sort of you know justified all the many years that we've we've sat with great patience but i have to say jeff before i forget that yes my name is generally known within spiritualism but behind me is a circle of friends who sit religiously week after week month after month year after year and if it wasn't through them then we won't be sat here talking to each other now i'm certain of that as the physical phenomena began to increase in your mediumship uh, you uh, developed several additional spirit guides that you were working with besides White Feather, uh, in particular, Walter Stinson, who uh, for students of spiritualism would know, it's the same Walter who who manifested in, in the very famous mediumship of Minna Crandon, also known as the Marjorie mediumship, and, and that you perhaps attracted Walter to you because you became a, a student of uh the history of spiritualism and particularly the Marjorie mediumship. Quite correct, 100% correct. I think probably it was in either the second or third year of my journey, so that's going back 49 years, uh, that I discovered the Marjorie mediumship, Minna Crandon. And I was quite fascinated by it and uh, I researched her mediumship in great depth and I have to tell you that I was so so oh thrilled um, I have to say I was for quite some time the archives officer for the Noah's Art Society and as the archives officer I would interview elderly spiritualists who in years gone by had had sittings attended seances with some of these wonder mediums from the past who today we can only read about. And I appealed to them some years ago to record their recollection onto cassette tape. There was no such thing as CDs then. And many of them did so. And from them, I've chosen all of these different ones. And this is their own voices. This is them telling of their experiences. And it's a, it's a double CD double CD album you see and I promised them that their voices would live on forever and now all of them are now in the spirit world and it was because of my position as the archives officer eventually I made contact with a lady called Marion Nestor now Marion Nestor was one of one of the daughters of Dr and Mrs Richardson who were part of the Marjorie Circle so she had grown up with the mediumship. She had grown up with the mediumship. And to be in contact with her, to learn from her, you know, what she had experienced was just absolutely wonderful, to say the very least, to say the least. For me, it was a, like all my Christmases, I've come at once to be in contact with this lady. And because of the knowledge that I've gained about Marjorie, and because she was probably the very last of the sitters of the Marjorie Circle 
that, that, that was still here. So I learned a great deal from her. Well, you know, I know that you're uh, very knowledgeable about the whole history of spiritualism, Stuart, and I hope we can actually have a separate conversation and, and, and go into that. But I want to come back to your mediumship and how it was that Walter first uh, appeared to you. Yes, indeed. Uh, as I said a while ago, Jeff, uh, we have what we refer to as the spirit team, individuals that all have their own responsibilities. White Feather always opens our seances, always welcomes everyone. Then he hands over to this little boy, Christopher, who passed over when he was six and a bit. He always says six and a bit. Uh, but the way that he speaks sometimes uh, seems to suggest that he obviously is older. But his responsibility is to lighten the atmosphere. And sometimes when people sit... I've never sat in a physical seance before, and obviously, understandably, they can be nervous. Well, it's Christopher's responsibility to ensure that um, that he can lighten the atmosphere, and within moments he does precisely that. So that's his responsibility. Then we have Walter, and Walter is solely responsible for uh, producing the physical manifestations i shall refer to them as the physical manifestations and then we have dr barnett and he performs healings from time to time and we've had some dramatic healings believe me really believe me and then we have frida johnson and their responsibility is to uh, produce survival evidence for sitters or to introduce loved ones you know that's their sole responsibility uh, but Walter, yeah, uh, it came as a shock when he suddenly arrived. But then now, with the benefit of hindsight and looking back, it doesn't really surprise me. Because of the many years that I have studied the Marjorie mediumship, and he says that he has returned to complete the task that he commenced all those many years ago. But he will not talk about the past. He says the past is gone. There would be no point in discussing that. All that matters now is now and the future. And that's what is working towards the future, to complete the task. And if it isn't done through my mediumship, then I'm sure it will be done through some other medium. Well, I think one of the uh, important points to discuss is how during these seances in which physical phenomena manifest, you are in, in effect tied down to uh, the chair using, uh, I forget what they're called, uh, ties. Of yes, yes, yes. I should say, Jeff, when I used to demonstrate for the Noah's Ark Society, uh, so that be anywhere between 80, 100 people, and we would sit in concentric circles. Now, bearing in mind what I said a while ago, and that was that most of these people would be strangers to me. I would be a stranger to them. They don't leave the common sense outside the sea on Zoom. So therefore, I insisted on being tied totally into my chair. I used to have ropes around my legs, ropes around my arms, ropes around my chest, uh, luminous tabs on my knees, all of these things, because, you know, that is what I would like to see if I sat with a, a, another physical medium, you know, so that I could be 100% certain that everything that happened was genuine. So... 
this is how I always sat. And then one night, my wife always sat outside the seance room to make sure no one could come in once the seance had begun. Uh, and on one occasion, after the seance, when people were leaving, she overheard two researchers walking out and they said, well, it was very interesting, but did you notice that the ropes around his chest were evenly spaced when the seance began, but at the end of the seance, they were all bunched together? And she told me this, and I thought, oh, goodness. So I got uh, the leader of my circle to make two metal plates to fasten on the back of the chair with loops so the ropes would pass through the loop so they couldn't bunch together. They would always be separate. And we used to do that for several months. And then one day I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous, you know. So I stopped it all. And I just have ties now, uh, and I have the luminous tabs on my knees, and and you know, and people know where I am, and that's good enough. And if they're not prepared to accept that, well, you know. Well, no, it was about the ties, but I I guess one of the reasons for the ties is because phenomena are occurring. In fact, I I think seem to recall that Walter seems to have the ability to pass your arm in and out of the ties. In other words, matter through matter. Yes, indeed. What I I don't know uh, what happens. I know Leslie tried to explain this, but this is how I understand it. But my arm, but my wrist is fastened to the arm of the chair by means of a plastic cable tie. Okay. Uh, then he will invite a lady to come and sit at my side. Then she will t- he will ask her to take my right hand. My left hand is held usually by the lady on my left. Uh, then he will say to the lady, with your right hand, feel, is the strap around Stuart's wrist and is it around the arm of the chair? So she will feel to make sure yes it is then he'll say move your hand away so she moves her hand away and then he as i understand it has been told to me he will say now if i can take stuart's arm through the strap would you think that was impressive and they'd say yes and with that my arm would shoot into the air then he would get the lady to feel the arm of the chair that the strap was still there on the arm of the chair yeah and sometimes he would take the strap through the arm of the chair and present it to, to the lady. And I know these straps now are all over the world. You know, people who have received the ladies who have received them. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, very interesting. And sometimes, and we always have two straps on the table in front of me, and sometimes he will join the two straps together. Now, I guess you're, at this point, totally unconscious. You're not aware of... Uh, the strap passing through your body or any such thing? Not at all. No, no, no. Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But fortunately, these days, um, from time to time, I do come out of trance so that I can watch the trumpets flying round. And on one single occasion, I saw Walter's materialized hand on the table in front of me on one occasion. And there's a difference between people telling you what happens and actually witnessing it for yourself. Yeah, that was a shock. And I gather on occasion, uh, there are actually full-body spirit materializations taking place in these seminar uh, seances. So I've been told. And I think it's usually Dr. Barnett, as far as I know, it's Dr. Barnett. Yeah, yeah. 
that's all I can really say, you see, Jeff, because I, I, I'm not awake to see it, so I can't really, you know. Well, Leslie has witnessed it and written about it, and then you have this three-volume set of uh, books by Katie Hallowell describing uh, phenomena. Yes, <laughs> that's correct, yeah, yeah. She's actually just combining the three into one single volume. She's been doing that for the last year, yeah, combining the three. And on occasion, you have uh, worked with uh, people like David Fontana, the former president of the Society for Psychical Research. Yes, very, very, very nice, genuine man, a lovely man. And I was so, when my book was published in 2010, um, when it was finally published, I was, I sent him a copy complimentary copy because he wrote the forward for my book sadly uh, it just passed over just literally days before you know before i sent the book i didn't know that he'd gone and i sent the book so but he was he's a lovely man absolutely lovely man and I think it might also be useful to mention uh, when you're talking about mentors, uh, you had a lengthy relationship with Alan Crossley, Alan Crossley. That was one of the most wonderful periods of my entire life. Uh, we, we, my wife and I and our two young sons were on vacation. Uh, and this is going back quite some years now. And we'd been out for a walk. We came back to the car, got into the car, switched on the engine. The radio burst into life just in time for me to hear the end of an interview with this man, Alan E. Crossley, who I'd never even heard of before. And he'd been talking about his friend, Helen Duncan. Helen Duncan was a materialization medium. Well, I won't go into all of that. But he'd been friends with her. Uh, and I just... I was so angry that I'd missed this, this this interview. So I wrote to him, care of the Psychic News, which is a spiritualist journal. They passed the letter on to him. He telephoned me. And within a couple of weeks, we made the long journey to his home. And there I spent some of the most wonderful, unforgettable days of my entire life. What a, a privilege it was to sit with this man who not only sat, with mediums such as Helen Duncan, but also with, with Alec Harris. Now, Alec Harris was perhaps the finest materialization medium in history. And the stories that he was able to relate, what he'd experienced in those seance rooms was mind-boggling. Absolutely wonderful. And I have to tell you this. <laughs> I have to tell you this. You, you, you'll enjoy this. We, <laughs> we, we started going there at least once a month, at least once a month, and he formed a circle around me. Uh, and it was made up of wonderful people. And I used to travel together with my circle leader. Sometimes my sister would come as well. And we would sit and some of the most unforgettable experiences there. But I have to tell you this because this, this to me, this, this is fantastic. Um, he lived in a, a static caravan, caravan at home. It, it, lived, it was a, a residential caravan site, a residential. So he lived there all the time. And we arrived one day and it was a beautiful sunny day. We went in to his lounge, sat there 
and he was stood up uh, somewhere making us tea or something and he'd left uh, there was a, a very heavy breeze a very heavy breeze and he'd left his top window open and there was a vase of flower flowers stood on a table immediately in front of this window and every now and then the wind would hit the blind and the blind would shoot forward and hit the vase of flowers and then on one occasion, it flew forward, hit the vase of flowers, and the vase of flowers fell towards the carpet. And we all looked, and we clearly saw all this water gush out of the vase, all the flowers. And Alan said, oh, my God. So Alan got a cloth, came, came back in, went down on his hands and knees to dry the carpet. And after a short time, he started laughing. And he said, come and feel the carpet. And we felt it, and it was totally dry, totally dry. Four or five hours later, in his seance room, halfway through the sitting, little Christopher said, would you like a present? And everyone said, oh, yes, please. And with that, there was a wash, and all this water descended. <laughs> <laughs> and Alan, Alan, Crossley, Alan Crossley thought that they had taken the water and suspended it somewhere, and then returned it all those hours later. Well, let the skeptics explain that. <laughs> well, it also suggests that they have a sense of humor on the other side. <laughs> oh, totally. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you've only got to be in a seance with Christopher for two minutes, well, for a minute, and you'll be laughing. I mean, that's his responsibility, you know? Stuart, this has been a wonderful conversation. Throughout it all, my sense was that uh, what kept things going uh, through many years of disappointing uh, results or no results at all is that uh, you seem to have had a deep desire uh, to to have this career. It was something that you always wanted and apparently the, your mentors sensed it and, and the spirit sensed it as well. I don't know, Jeff. I can't honestly say that it's something that I always wanted. I don't think, you know, what really has kept me on this path is that I've seen firsthand many, many, many times how people who are bereaved, you know, the impacts that it can have on them. I'm going to tell you a story if I've got time, is that okay, Jeff? Right. Well, over the years, from time to time, people would come and sit as guests of the circle, or I'd do a, a public seance or whatever. And I've seen many times where people would come up and say, yeah, oh, you know, thank you, because my mother communicated, my father, whoever, and I'd say, oh, I'm so pleased for you. But one night, it all changed for me. After all those years of sitting, and this would be 10 years ago, something like that. And we had a lady. We used to have guests at the home circle from time to time. Uh, and people would telephone my circle leader and say, is it possible to come as a guest? And then, because you've got to be very careful with physical mediumship, because, you know... If somebody only needs somebody to do something silly like putting a light on and it can it can really have an adverse effect upon the health of the medium. So you've always got to be very careful. 
uh, and he normally speaks, he would speak to people on the phone for some time and get a feeling as to whether or not they wanted to come for the correct reasons. And on one occasion, I arrived at his home where the seances were held and I was introduced to three or four people who would come as guests. And one lady in particular who was very quiet, uh, seemingly very shy, we went up into the seance room and we sat. And after the seance, everybody went downstairs except the set leader and myself. And he cut, cut me, cut the bandings, cut the ties. And I, I can always remember going down the stairs, walking into the lounge. And this lady was stood there. And as I walked in, she threw her arms on me and she said, thank you for saving my life. And it was because some months earlier she'd lost um a husband a partner and she had been absolutely devastated she'd even considered suicide uh and this was the last attempt you know to try and communicate with him to find out if this was reality that people do survive and that night changed everything for me i realized just what it meant to people in a way that i've not previously you know so it was a big experience for me was that particular night and i've never forgot it and i close my eyes and i can see her standing there now you know so that's how important it is and can i just say one other thing as well jeff please um you know full well that it took a long time before i agreed to this interview and I think you know the reason for that, because I'm a very private person. I don't believe, uh, I, I never wanted to be before the public. That's not what it's about. It's not what it's about at all. But when I wrote my book and then revised it, and I thought to myself, I see that book as a kind of legacy, a kind of legacy, because I know I'm a hundred percent certain that when I'm no longer here to defend myself, the skeptics and the critics will come out the woodwork. Well, my reply to them all is contained within that book. And I tell you now, I have no time whatsoever for the unknowledgeable knowledgeables, and I'm afraid that is the majority of skeptics and critics, because I dare say that the majority of them have never attended a genuine seance, you know? It's easy, isn't it, just to, uh, you know, to attack people, but it's so, to me, they are the unknowledgeable knowledgeables, you know? So I'm not interested in skeptics or critics or anything like that, you know? It's the people we can help that is important. That's what it's all about. Not just this side of life, but also on the other side of life, because they're just as anxious to communicate with their loved ones on this side as we are to communicate with them on their side. Well, Stuart, this is, of course, wonderful, but you also write in your book 
uh, about many seances that you attended, which were very disappointing for an, a large number of reasons. But uh, it seems that for every medium who puts in the decades of hard work, such as you have done, there are many others who, who don't have the knowledge or the experience and uh, whose who seances uh, probably turn people off to spiritualism. In fact, spiritualism as a movement has, has been on the decline for decades. I think it's so sad, Jeff, because as you know, for over 150 years, I'll go so far as to say that, spiritualism looked up at the stars. As you know, it was born in America, and then like a forest fire, it travelled throughout America, through Europe, into England, and men and women of letters, uh, aristocracy, royalty, scientific people, men in the street, people were all succumbing to this wonderful new movement that promised to be able to prove conclusively that this life is merely a precursor to what happens afterwards, that there was survival for every soul, you know, uh, and we were on track to do that. But we've got to remember that for 150 years, the home circle stood at the very centre of spiritualism. It was almost the heartbeat of the movement. And it is within those home circles that these wonder mediums of the past developed their gifts before eventually some of them, not all of them, came out to work before the public. Within the home circle, there's no pressure to perform. People just sit together in love and in harmony to make that contact with the spirit world. These days, many people believe that by attending a few courses, then in some way, development can be accelerated. Well, I'm sorry, but I think that is nonsense. A tutor, a knowledgeable tutor, can help, advise, inform, support, encourage a potential medium, but you cannot shortcut the development of mediumship. I firmly believe that, and everything that I say, I'm say is based on over 50 years of experience and study and research, you know? So I'm not just talking <laughs> sort of at the top of my head because I've been involved two or three years. No, not at all. So that's my feel. I don't wish to offend anyone at all, and I'm sure there's some wonderful tutors out there, some wonderful courses, but for people to believe that they can shortcut the development of mediumship, well, I'm sorry, it's nonsense. And if you look at the general, and I underline the word general, standard of mediumship of yesteryear, and then compare it with the general standard of mediumship today, well, I think that speaks volumes. That says everything. That's my feeling. To me, spiritualism has gone backwards. And I think that in some respects, innocently, we have betrayed the hopes and aspirations of these men and women of the past. Many with, or risked their academic standing, their social standing, you know, to stand up for what they believed in. They were prepared to do that and they did do that. They put it all on the line. And what have we done with it? Spiritualism is a shadow of its former self. I'm sorry. But that's how I see it, and I don't wish to offend anyone, but to me, that is reality. The home circle is, is vitally important. And I remember a past editor of the Psychic News, uh, which is Spiritualism's all-time 
well, it, I think it's it's it, it's been around longer than any other journal. The Psychic News, the editor, a number of years ago, uh, wrote an article in the Psychic for the Psychic News, and it was an account of his visits to sit with Alec Harris, the materialisation medium, who lived in South Wales at the time. And it was absolutely wonderful to read this. But the one thing that stuck in my mind was the editor saying that he believed that down every road, every street, every avenue in South Wales, there was probably a home circle sitting. You know, and they, that, that was it. Home circles existed in considerable numbers. Now today, <laughs> very few, very few. And I think we've lost our way and we've stopped listening to the spirit world. And when you stop listening to them, then the way will always be lost. That's how I feel. Well, when I first entered the field of parapsychology some 48 years ago, uh, as far as I knew, spiritualism was pretty much completely dead. The term physical medium was an anachronism. Uh, although there were other developments, of, of course, in, in the research side of things and talented psychics and, and so on. It, actually, the 1970s was very exciting. But for me to be with you today, Stuart, uh, is a wonderful experience. I really have the feeling from interviewing you and other uh, spiritualists who I've recently uh, been in touch with that, uh, spiritualism is experiencing a rebirth and your work has been a very important part of that. So I want to thank you very much for being with me and I want, would like to invite you to uh, participate in future conversations as well. I think we have much more to talk about. I would be pleased to do so. Thank you very much for inviting me, Jeff. You know, um, yeah, the book is to get the message out there to people, and uh, and I I think to myself, if survival and communication was finally accepted by mankind, what a different world we would be living in! What a different world! I can say no more. <laughs> and for those of you viewing or listening, thank you for being with us.